0: Hey church, I'm Nick Crawford here with Daniel Wagner and it is a joy and an honor, true joy and true honor to preach the word of God into your homes and it's a true privilege to share the honor with Daniel. We're in the final week of our series Lament where we've been looking at this ancient practice of crying out to God when we feel far from God. Hey look, the scriptures have some good things to say about times in the low seasons of life some really good and fruitful things can occur when we're in the low seasons of life. Check it out, Ecclesiastes chapter seven verse two says this, it is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living should take it to heart. So here we go, funerals, like a house of mourning, it's kinda like a funeral, a house of feasting, is kinda like a festival or a party, so funerals are better than festivals, why? It's because the low times of life are better teachers than the high times. They are prods on the path of spiritual growth and maturity in Jesus, and they are far better at it than the high times of life. Church, flowers truly do grow better in the valley than they do on the mountaintop. And God does his best work in us in the low seasons in the wilderness. We're going to be in Psalm 42 today. It's a psalm that's rich with imagery of the wilderness. Now, for those of you who, who don't know, my, na- my wife's name is Kristen, and she's a doctor. She and I both love medical students. Love them. Love them to have them over. Love to eat with them, hang out with them, hear how their week went, how their month went, what are their pain points. We just love to hang out with medical students because we get them. We understand them. We have been through the wilderness season that they are going through right now. Test after test, trial after trial, no end in sight. Medical school is a pressure cooker. It's a pressure cooker and medical school is a wilderness season. It was no different for Kristen in her first semester. Her first semester knocked her down, sent her deep into a low spiritual wilderness. After just getting acclimated to 13-hour days of study, that's just to keep up with the, with the course load, not to get ahead. She's just getting acclimated to these 13-hour marathon study days, and she breaks her leg severely. She has major surgery, and as you can imagine, that was a major setback to her progress in school. Fast forward a couple of weeks, couple of months, and she's still in the pain of it all, and she's still on crutches, and somebody comes up and smashes the window in her back seat. They rob her. They stole her backpack. They stole her textbooks. And worst of all, they stole the computer that had all of her notes. Kristen was at the bottom. But if you go back and check out her journal entries in that season, you'll see Psalm 62 was her anthem. It was her anchor. She was crying out to God from the bottom. God, you are my rock. You are my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. She was crying out to God, but she wasn't hearing a whole lot from God. She felt far from him. Kristen was in the middle of a wilderness. And then that's when I showed up, right? Sweep her off her feet, right off into the sunset. No big deal. But truly, I was no savior to her a savior to her. Honestly, I was in a spiritual wilderness of my own, but the difference between Kristen and me at that time, she was crying out to God, and I just wanted to get out of the wilderness as fast as I possibly could. God joined our wilderness seasons together to show us that getting out of the wilderness is not something that we do. It's something that God does in our hearts. And that's our problem, church. When we find ourselves in the low season, when we find ourselves in the wilderness, We try to lift ourselves out and we miss out on what God could do in us through the wilderness. There is no way out of the wilderness except for letting God do a work on your heart. And that's the beauty of lament. It shows us that we can actually have an intimate relationship with the Father that involves actual and honest conversation. And it teaches us that we're not alone in the wilderness. So let's listen to God's word now. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God.
1: Hmm. So this psalm is by uh, an author or a group of authors that say that they're the sons of Korah. And without going too deep into it, it's important to know who this person or these people are that write this. And... and, in The Israelites wander in the desert. There was a guy named Korah who was related to Moses. And he and some of his people, they tried to overthrow Moses and Aaron and be in charge of Israel and take over the priesthood. And God opened up the earth and swallowed Korah and his posse that was trying to take over Israel and go their own way. Now it's interesting that these people would say that they're the sons of Korah. So we're gonna follow the thought that they're direct descendants of this Korah. And these sons served in the temple, they were Levites. So specifically what uh, historically the sons of Korah did here as a Levite, they were kind of gatekeepers to the temple, they would let people in, they would make sure people who were there to worship God were able to worship God. And then they were custodians of that temple. So the purposes of the sons of Korah here that we see in this passage and what we know from looking at other places in the scripture was to help people worship god in the presence of god in the temple but what we find the problem is here in this psalm in psalm 42 is that these sons of korah are far from the temple and in the old testament being far from the temple meant you were far from the presence of god and that caused these feelings of lament inside this son of korah these sons of korah now Who knows why uh, these sons of Korah were gone, why the psalmist was gone. Maybe they were on some kind of pilgrimage. Maybe they were out of town on a work trip. Maybe they got exiled. Maybe they were just out of town to be out of town. But they were away from the temple, and that meant that they were away from their purpose. Their purpose was to facilitate worship in the temple, to be in the presence of God, helping other people be in the presence of God. So this lament comes from a deep place inside of this psalmist that says, I'm not doing what I was meant to do. The things that I'm supposed to be about, I'm not about. And that made things feel off in the life of the psalmist. See, one of the primary themes in this passage is this, that things don't always go as they should, and things don't always feel as they should. And we get that, right? Sometimes life just feels off. It feels wrong, it feels broken. And that's what leads us often in our dark seasons to appropriately feel feelings of lament. See, this isn't just an underlying, I want what I don't have. But it's this, I don't have what I know I should have. In God, my life should feel different than it does right now. When I think about that, uh, the easiest thing that I thought of was when I first started driving, uh, I had a truck. And you know, it wasn't a fancy truck, but all cars now have way too many buttons. Uh, They just have more buttons than they should. So you can push the wrong thing and then all of a sudden, it grows wings and it's like a spaceship. You have a backup camera for your backup camera now, but this truck was a little more basic. And uh, after I'd driven it for about two weeks in the dead of summer, I accidentally hit the AC button that turned the air conditioning off. So if you guys have done that before, you're probably smart enough to fix it automatically. I was not at 16, so I had to push the AC button on a couple of weeks later whenever one of my friends told me that that's what was wrong with my air conditioning. But there was a while where I was just driving with the windows down, I was fanning myself, sticking my head out the window like a dog, trying to stay cool, and I knew that there was a difference in my truck because the air conditioning had worked, and now it didn't. There was something that was missing that I had experienced before, and that's why I knew that something was wrong, because something was there that wasn't there anymore. And so often that's why we're moved into feelings of lament. I mean, we know that life is better sometimes and it's worse sometimes. We know we see more justice in the world in some places than in other places. We know that sickness is in some places and health is in some places. And we hate the bad things and we long for the good things. And that's what we see in the psalmist. I just wanna go really quickly, kind of at a 30,000 foot view at some themes that we see in these verses that the psalmist felt that I know you and I in different seasons will feel. In verse one, we see this uh, this lament, when you have a deep unfulfilled longing for deeper things. We see lament in verse two, when you have a longing to be with someone that you can't be with. Verse two, when you have a longing to be seen. Verse three, when you have an experience of deep sorrow or pain. Verse three, when you have people mocking and accusing you. Verse four, when you have the memory of better days. Verse four, when you have memories of feeling close to God in worship and in the word, and now you don't. Verse five, when you have a feeling that you're in a place you don't belong and a feeling that you're far from home. Verse five, when you have a feeling as if you're living outside of your purpose. Verse seven, when you have a feeling like you've been crushed Verse 7, when you have a feeling like you're drowning. Verse 9, when you have a feeling like you've been forgotten by God. Verse 9, when you have a feeling like you'll never be a winner. Verse 10, when you have a feeling like you're so deeply hurt that it physically pains you. Something on that list registered with you, because that's the nature of the human life, to feel hurt, to feel like you're missing out, to feel like something is missing. And here's why we have this experience as Christians. It's because we live in this tension of the now and the not yet. We live in this tension of the now and of the not yet. It's this tension of I'm here, but I want to be there. Here is earth as it is. It's what Paul refers to as this present evil age where Satan is still controlling the world in ways. He's roaming the earth like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. He's the accuser of the brethren, a thief who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan still has free reign here, and sin still exists. So we feel this pain of why things are the way they are, and we feel this pain when things don't go how we want them to go. But we know that there's a day coming where Jesus will come and make all things right. And here in the middle, he is making things better day by day in our lives as we pursue him. But we're still left with this feeling, this things aren't the way that I want them to be. There's something just wrong about my life when things are off. And C.S. Lewis put this really well in a section of his book, A Grief Observed. He wrote A Grief Observed after his wife that he'd only been married to for three years, uh, died tragically of cancer. And here's what C.S. Lewis wrote about the difference between his suffering and other people's suffering. He said this, we're promised sufferings, they're a part of the program. We were even told, blessed are they that mourn. And I accepted it. I've got nothing that I hadn't bargained for. Now, of course, it's different when the thing happens to oneself and not to others. And in reality, not in my imagination so nick what do we do when we're faced with these feelings like the psalmist felt what do we do whenever things are just off in the world how do we direct those things towards god what do we learn from the psalm well
0: i mean i think first of all we got to know that god's words living and active it meets us where we are so we need to acknowledge kind of where we are in this season Uh, i don't know about you guys at home but this season feels like a wilderness season to me at least we're being stripped of things, it pains, it hurts, I don't like it at all, and I'm sure all of us can relate in some fashion with this, whether it's isolation or illness, job loss, trouble at home, trouble in your marriage, or heinous racial injustice, all of us are hurting somewhere, maybe all over that spectrum. We are in a wilderness, and many of us are finding ourselves in a wilderness But by God's grace, we need to know what this psalm teaches us, that we can grow in the wilderness. Just take me, for example. Ten years ago, I wanted to get out of the wilderness as fast as I could. But now, I'm learning to appreciate what God can teach me in the wilderness. Church, getting out of the wilderness is not something we do. It's something that God does in us. The psalmist shows us how to cooperate with the work of God on the heart In the wilderness remembrance reflection rest remembrance reflection rest in verse 4 the psalmist remembers the faithfulness of God he says this these things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise a multitude keeping festival Listen to this. This guy, in the midst of spiritual depression, feeling absence from the very presence of God, dying of thirst in a spiritually dry place, he remembers a worship service. Amazing. And it sends his heart to hope in God. Right now, everybody's telling us out there man, don't hug, don't do it, don't shake hands. Don't even high-five your buddy. So what do you do when you see somebody out in public? I don't know what you do, but I mean, I think I kind of ask. Do you handshake? You do this awkward thing? I don't know what you do. I look stupid. But listen, just because we can't feel the embrace of another doesn't mean we're not in their presence. And so it is with the presence of God in the wilderness. When he feels far from us, it doesn't mean he's not right there with us in it. When remembering God's faithfulness, also remember God's grace to give us community. Remember, the psalmist is praising God for walking with the multitude, with the throng. He remembers being with the community of God. Church, you are not alone in the wilderness. You're not. Each of our stories testify to how God met us when we were far off, how God met you in your wilderness. So God may feel far off to of you, but yet he may feel very near to your brother or your sister, and that would encourage you. We are pretty fanatical about groups here. We encourage you to continue to meet in groups. If you're not in a group, get in a group. Go to the website. Click connect. Get in a group. It's essential and necessary for your spiritual formation and growth up into Jesus. Get in a group. When you're in the wilderness, remember God's faithfulness. The psalmist also reflects on the condition of his heart. Listen to him talk to himself in verse 5. He's talking to himself, so he's not letting his circumstances have the last word. He talks to himself. Listen, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? The psalmist's soul is cast down. That means to sink, to depress, to bring down low to press down, he is being acted upon. The pressing down produced something in him, turmoil. It means war, rage, a loud voice. As he reflects on his heart's condition, he found something that was not so good. Look, pressure on us produces something in us and that comes out. That is the direction of emotion in the scriptures. Pressure on us produces something in us and that comes out and scripture gives us the image of the crucible for this very thing Proverbs 17 verse 3 says this the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts the wilderness is a pressure cooker and God uses it to test and refine our hearts like silver in the furnace like silver in the crucible heat pressure is applied to us to burn off the bad stuff so a more precious version emerges something more tried and something more true. Enduring the crucible requires developing the capacity to reflect on what's coming out of your heart. So when pressure is applied ask yourself what's coming out? What do you see? What does your behavior tell you about what's in your heart? What, is your, what do your actions show about the condition of your heart? Does it show a heart of faith or does it show something else? Think of your prayers. Are you lamenting to God or are you complaining about the wilderness that you're in right now? As we learn to reflect on God's refining work, our prayer changes from, God, take me out of this, to God, take me through this. When you're in the real wilderness, Reflect on the condition of your heart and lastly the psalmist teaches us how to cooperate with God by resting on the rock In verse 1 God felt absence yet in verse 9 he can call God his rock God hasn't changed and so his purposes haven't changed for you either And this is where we need to preach the gospel to ourselves The gospel of the wilderness says we don't fight our way through it We we rest on the one who fought on our behalf look Jesus he didn't just go to the wilderness. He actually sought the wilderness out. We see Jesus in his baptism. As the heavens were open, the Father's voice boomed over him and spoke a word over him said, You are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then immediately Jesus went into the wilderness. For 40 days he fasted. 40 nights he, he fasted. He was brought to a place of emptiness, to a very low place. And right there, that's when the enemy showed up. And he substituted, he actually inserted one word into the Father's great declaration of Jesus' sonship. Previously, God said, you are my son. And the enemy says, if you are the son of God. That is the enemy's favorite weapon. From the garden to the wilderness, the enemy loves to question God's word. Did God really say, is God really for you? Are you really a child of God? The enemy wants us to doubt our identity as sons and daughters of the Father. So we'll work ourselves to the bone trying to earn the Father's acceptance and miss the perfect work of Jesus on our behalf. The wilderness is where we learn to be God's children. The wilderness is where God teaches us dependence. So let's cooperate with him when we're in the wilderness. Let's we'll stop trying to get out so fast. Let's we'll stop striving and let's rest on the rock, the one who endured the wilderness for us.
1: Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this and you think, well, I don't know, that sounds nice. Maybe that'll work for you. I don't know if I've got it to remember and reflect and rest. I, I don't know that I am a son. I don't know that I am a daughter. I don't know that God's love is is real for me. Or if you have felt like that in the past, but you feel so abandoned in this season. Something in life is pressing on you so hard that you just don't feel like this is true. I just want to speak this truth over you for an encouragement for the believer, for an encouragement for the unbeliever, that just like Nick said, it's not ourselves and our desire to get out of the wilderness. We couldn't get ourselves out of the wilderness if we tried, but it's God's faithfulness to lead us through it to lead us through it better. We know that Jesus himself experienced that wilderness and all these things. The psalmist cries out that he's in a wilderness. Jesus himself in a wilderness. When he was there, he was tempted, but he was found without fault. That's what we find in Hebrews 4. So in that wilderness, Jesus was faithful through it so that he could secure for us something that would lead us through our own wildernesses. The psalmist says that he feels forsaken, he feels forgotten, he feels like he doesn't know if he's gonna be remembered by God. And we know that on Mark, in Mark 15, that when Jesus was on the cross, that he cried out the words that are in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we see that Jesus was forsaken on the cross so that we could never be forsaken. The psalmist says that he's thirsty, he pants for the presence of God, like a deer longs for water, and we know in John 19 when he was on the cross that Jesus said, I thirst. And he thirsted on the cross so that we might never thirst. Like he says in John 4, that whoever trusts in him, that we would have streams of living water that would well up, that would overflow from within us, ensuring that we never have to long for anything again if we trust in Jesus. This psalmist cries out for a rock. He cries out for a firm foundation. And we know Jesus' words at the end of Matthew 7 that our life is stable, our life is sure, our life is established. If we follow him as he's our Lord and we're his followers as true Christians. And this psalmist says that he's hopeless because he's far from the temple. God, I don't feel like you're near. God, I don't feel like you care. God, I feel so far away from where you are. But we know that there's the promise that we see in 1 Corinthians 6 that we are, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we know that together as His church, we're being built up into His temple. Now, you've heard a lot about wilderness today, and this passage is full of wilderness. We feel like we're in a wilderness as a society. I wanna read this passage here as we close. Uh, This is a story that I found with someone who was in the room with uh, Dallas Willard and Richard Foster and with Eugene Peterson. They're sort of on the Mount Rushmore of Fondren Church. We quote them a lot around here. But here's what they said whenever they were asked on a panel, what is the predominant, it's what's the predominant metaphor? What's the predominant illustration of the Christian life? So here it goes. These three men, they conferred on a stage, and after the question was asked of them, they took only a few seconds in their holy huddle, and then Dallas Willard turned and he said, the predominant metaphor of the Christian life is wilderness. Wilderness? Yes, wilderness. The wilderness of work. The wilderness of raising small children, and the parents need a break, but there is no break. The wilderness of a marriage that feels more like crumbles than rock the wilderness of losing one's way in life, the wilderness of the death of a spouse or the horrid darkness of losing a child, the wilderness of aging, the wilderness of facing a major disappointment in your life. You see, a season of lament is the natural and spiritual way of healing, to sit in sadness, to face despair, and to walk through the valley of the shadow of many deaths are just as needed as our singing about the mountaintop experiences. Why? Because there are as many valleys in life as there are mountaintops. And to attempt to live in every season on a spiritual high sets one up or a church up for a life of shallowness and false faith. It's our prayer today for you that wherever you are, whatever the feelings of this world are doing inside of you, however close or near you feel from God, whether this is a good season or a bad season for you, that this word would be timeless and true. That the Lord is one that we can depend on, who meets us in our wilderness and takes us through it better. Let's pray. God, we love you. And I'm grateful for every man and woman and child, Lord, that's watching this. God's so grateful for the family that's fond in church. Lord, that we're united together, even though we're physically separate. And God, I would pray that this word would be true for us, that we would see you as faithful, that we would see you as powerful, that we would see you as good. God, you know our lowest lows. You saw them before we breathed our first breath. And God, I'd ask that you would meet us those of us in pain, deep loss, suffering, confusion, Lord, that you would walk us to something better. God, because of your faithfulness, because of your promises to us, because of the things that you've secured for us in Jesus, God, I pray that in our church, in this cultural moment, we would lament. But God, our our lamentation, our lamenting, God, would be towards you. God, for you to move in this world, that you would be the thing we desire most in our life, in our families, in our workplaces, in our friendships, and in this world. God, would we be better for the season that we're in right now? We ask these things in your great name, Jesus. Amen.